Namaskar, kindred spirits. So welcome everybody. And it's a beautiful day here. And it's a beautiful day to, to host our new guest today, a beautiful young woman, Kiran. She's a, a lovely person who has a lot of knowledge of yoga and horses, and also in the world of healing arts, where she's made that her study, her profession, and her personal practice. Kiran is an acupuncturist, a herbalist, an osteopath, and she practices in San Diego in California. She believes that community is very important for our well-being, and I'd really like to touch more on that, about community and how it helps us in our lives, especially with what we're going through, everyone's going through these days. She volunteers and helps in many ways in her communities where she shares her knowledge and her he healing background and techniques to help others, and how she feels we can make a difference for ourselves and our communities through our knowledge or maybe our experience of yoga or horses or whatever we have in our life as tools. Karen is also the daughter of my very good friend, Corinne, who was our guest on the first podcast and who I began the Yoga with Horses with together. She, like my daughters, grew up in Costa Rica, which is also one of her many homes. And so today we're going to listen to Kieran's story and some of her life's experiences, as well as touching on topics of how you can help heal yourself in a world where we can often feel disorientated, um, disconnected, and just feeling a little bit insecure with what everything is going on in many different ways throughout the world. Namaskar Kiran, welcome. Thank you, and thank you for that beautiful introduction. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I have one small edit to make to the introduction. I'm not an osteopath, but I do practice osteopathic techniques. Just, okay, um, good. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. I am uh, I'm speaking to the listeners and you from San Diego, California. We're having a beautiful day despite all the fires making the skies pretty hazy, which has made the sun really surreal looking. Uh, but yeah, really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, I was going to actually touch on that in San Diego and the fires and how they're maybe affecting, um, well, obviously the air you're breathing um, for humans and, of course, for the animals that are around as well, and how it's maybe affecting also that our life force energy prana through what we're breathing as well. And what is that having as effects on you over there? Oh, that's huge. Um, <laughs> I can't say that I'm experiencing the air quality negatively. Um, I think I just have respiratory health that isn't susceptible or vulnerable to it. But, you know, you check the weather app and it says poor quality or like um, for, for vulnerable people. But it's interesting to think about the life force on a planetary level. What with everything going on between COVID and, you know, the many sort of uprisings and revolutions that we see happening worldwide. Um, but speaking for the United States, you know, Black Lives Matter, um, mm -hmm. having that happen in conjunction with COVID is just so interesting. And then having the, the climate um, conditions really getting accentuated too. I mean, yeah, the fires this year in California, they're records. And, and, and to know that every year is, has the potential to get exacerbated and be worse. It's a really wild time to be human. Um, to and I like you mentioned other animals too. They're bound to be feeling these shifts, right, on a different conscious level. Yes. Well, animals being very sensitive, they're more aware of it than us. 
But as humans, whether we're aware or unaware of uh, these subtle energies and the, the air that we live in, etc., um, it's still affecting us. I mean, there's vibrations of whatever it's the global warming, how it's affecting the climate, the hurricanes on the other side, the fires by you. I mean, it's all California going all the way up to to, to Seattle. It's Oregon, quite, yeah. In Oregon, it's quite it's quite something. And this all that smoke's going into the air, infecting it. So so on a very sort of um, earth way, um, physical way, it's affecting us. But also the vibrations, like you say, with COVID and also Black Lives Matters. There's a lot of energy, um, which in some ways is negative. There's a lot of this vibration going on and it's affecting everyone in every different ways. And I'd like to sort of further talk a little bit about this as we go through our conversations. But I'd like to go back to the beginnings a little bit with you. Um, you grew up in Costa Rica with your siblings and your mom and dad, and you've come from a very interesting background, a very mixed background of your mother who was born in the States and who's American. Um, her father is from the Philippines. Her mother is from Germany. Your father's from India. So you have grandparents that are Indian as well. You visit these countries. You live these countries. You know your family well. And you grew up also in a Latin American country with its own very typical culture and very different from other cultures too. So how, how was that like for you growing up with all that big bag of goodies? <laughs> And and while we're at it, we might as well say Happy Independence Day, right? It's Costa Rica's Independence oh, Day. Oh, good heavens, yeah. Fifteenth. Strange uh, not hearing the bands play. Yeah, I actually put it on my iPhone this morning. I, I put <laughs> the national anthem on <laughs> for old times' sake. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very mixed background. I turned thirty this year in April, and I have to say that a, a large part of my journey has been reconciling. Um, my journey with what home is and um, around the concept of belonging. So for a long time, you know, I, I didn't so much have like a recognition of how ethnically and culturally mixed my family is. It's more just like, we're the Olix. Um, <laughs> and it was almost like, as I reflect on it now in hindsight, it's like we were a tribe, a very, very small tribe. Um, and... I'm very grateful for the bonds it created. And it's just so interesting to think about how like, for example, English was the meeting language in the family, right? Like we could have all been speaking Spanish, but my parents aren't Costa Rican. We could have all been speaking Hindi or Punjabi, but my mother doesn't speak those languages. And you know, she has, she doesn't have a fluent grasp on Tagalog or German. So like for my parents to raise us, it was English was the language. Um, and it's just, it's so funny to, it's something I walk through the world with, you know, I could look like pretty much any of the nationalities that I am. I think I could pass in any of those countries, right? And a couple Absolutely. more. And a couple more, for sure. Yeah. But it's this thing where in Costa Rica, I'm not, I'm not Costa Rican enough to be Costa Rican. In the United States, I don't feel American enough to call myself American. Same goes for India, the Philippines, Germany. Um, and so while that has created for me at times some like angst, um, I've really, I've really made peace with it in this way that I'm really grateful for. My roommate and I had this conversation this morning about, um, and I'll just do a little synopsis, but basically like the things that give you anxiety, how you can actually take power from them. 
mm-hmm. and pivot them. If they have so much power over you, can't you derive power from them as well? And so this, this belonging and home thing that used to kind of haunt me a little bit. I, I love that I have so many homes and I love that um, I, I, it feels really beautiful to be such a global citizen. And I do think that more and more people are going to be third and fourth and fifth culture like me, you know. And for me to know that having been raised abroad, I would love to give that to my family if I ever have children. Mm-hmm. I love what it did for my perspective, my global perspective. I love... Um, one of my roommates right now is really into charcuterie boards and we were eating prosciutto together. And I was reminded that my best friends in high school were um, from Vienna and they were half Portuguese, half Dutch. And we would eat prosciutto and goat cheese on baguettes all the time. And like, that's not a very Costa Rican thing to do. And, and then the other, you know, my other peers, like country day school in Costa Rica was so international. And while it was difficult to be the person who stayed while embassy kids came and went in like two year stints, it was really cool now to remove my emotions and the nostalgia um, and just recognize how much exposure I had to global culture. Yeah, I think that that I, I, more and more, I mean, not everywhere and for sure not enough, but I do think it does make a big change, a big influence on opening up our view and how we see things coming from such a multicolor background. It helps us have a bigger understanding and compassion for other people and their traditions and the way they live. And that's something that humans really need to learn about having acceptance for others, who they are, no matter how strange or unusual, or maybe they think evil or bad their beliefs are, but they have to understand those people are just like them looking for exactly the same things, for love, for security, for wellness, for their family. And when we, ha- we come from, like, I don't, well, actually, I have six different nationalities in, in my background and growing up the way I did, too. I never really had a home. Costa Rica has been my first home. But I'm obviously not Costa Rican. I, I don't have that Latin background, and I don't look Costa Rican, even if for me, if it's my, it's my home. So... I think it's, it's it just, it's very interesting and it helps us with our perception on life. So I know as a little girl, you fell in love with horses and you took your mom on a bit of a journey there too. <laughs> so let's just give a, a little short um, description of your connection with horses and what it meant to you to start riding in Costa Rica and how that felt in the riding, the, the riding club. And then I know you competed a bit. And then afterwards, you kind of shifted the way you you wanted to be with horses. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. Um, since before I can remember, I guess I was asking my parents for horseback riding lessons. I don't know where the affinity came from. I actually had a realization a couple nights ago that I'll share. I'll mm. share soon. Um, but when I was eight, the begging finally paid off and the nagging and my mom signed me up for (laughs) lessons and decided to take them with me. Um, so that already having been the youngest, um, me and my mom, I was pretty, uh, we were just really close. We spent a lot of time together and this just was the start of even a deeper bond that my mom and I share. Um, so yeah, we started riding together. I remember the first class was, um, it was a Tuesday and the teacher said, well, it's Tuesday. So that's bareback day. And I had never been on a horse in my life and, but too bad it's bareback day. So you're getting on without a saddle. 
So I did and promptly fell off, just kind of slid off of that sheen, you know, hair of theirs, that coat. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that just kind of colors what that club was like. We would do things like, you know, stand on the horse's backs and go around the track or we'd, um, ride them backwards as we went over jumps. It was just all very silly and fun. And the friendships that I made through horseback riding, the girlfriends that we were just quirky and weird and I loved it. Um, it, it started in me this trend that was already set in stone by being part of the Olic clan of just being, a, being, being myself and being a weirdo and that being okay. <laughs> um, and I developed really, really strong bonds with horses. It was this beautiful introduction to love, capital L love. I, I am of the love school. I'm of the love religion. I think, I think it's the force behind the cosmos. I think it brings everything into being. I think that if we can get our hearts to vibrate at the same vibration of love, I, I think that has, I think maybe that's the Tao. I think that's universal chi. I think that's the supreme prana. So anyways, horses really like I'd just like to interrupt you something because you said two points that I just want to um to to go a little bit not further but just add something to. You talked about that first uh, riding lesson being bareback and all the fun and the quirkiness and all the different ways of doing things. And for me personally, I find that is the best way. When I when I'm teaching people how to ride, everyone we begin bareback. The saddle comes after because once they you have that balance to ride bareback, the saddle is easy. It's nothing. But you have that balance. You, you, you forget you, you're not depending upon that salad, salad, saddle or stirrups or everything else. You're creating that own sense of gravity in your core and your strength in your core. So I think that's great that you learned that way because I really believe that is so important. And also um, you talked about love, about heart, about the energy of the heart and that vibration of the heart. And you see, that's an interesting factor about the heart math with the horse and the heart, the horse's heart rhythm being very rhythmic and how that is very healing for humans because we have the arrhythmic, we, we, our heart goes boom, 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 and there it goes boom. And when we're around horses, it's that vibrational energy that brings us so much peace and love. So we're picking up that even though we don't know what it's about, our vibration is becoming in tune to their frequency and it affects us very strongly. So it yes, does. all about yeah. the love, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I love that you bring up that bareback point because um, now um, fast forward into my journey as a body worker, I, 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 can't, I couldn't be doing anything other than what I'm doing. I, I tell people that my hands, it feels like they were made to feel chi. And as I reflect on it, I think I learned that with horses, that sensitivity. And it, it seems like bareback riding puts you in camaraderie with the horse and saddle I think more easily can put you into domination over the horse yes yes absolutely well said yes yeah so back to the horseback riding journey I I I was all in it was all I did my room was all horses and ribbons I was in the competitive circuit um and I loved it I I went through many loves um horses that is and then got to I guess what you could call like the pinnacle of my competitive career and competed in Germany and in dressage and it was the coolest experience up to date for my 14 year old self but I was training at 6 a.m before school and then at 3 30 after school and 
I was burnt out when I got back from Germany, took some time off and never went back in the same way. And it was something that I held some regret about, but I trust the way things work out. And now my mom keeps a couple horses and I love going to hang out with them. And I, I, I hope and feel in my heart that I will have horses again in my life and have that bond again. But the little pivot that I had was that I have no idea what drew me to horses, but I know that it drew my mom to horses and, um, not to share too much of her story because it's hers to share, but she she deals with some um, chronic pain, and mm-hmm. I can see now like the thread weaving through that her greatest doctor and medicine has been horse has been horses. Yes, and so while I'm not sure what my bond is with horses these days, I am grateful that that whatever whatever affinity you know five year old six year old eight year old Kieran had brought my mom to horses. You know, our daughters, I know very well from ourselves have wonderful influences or pivoting points in our life. And um, actually my daughter, Lexi, who, you know, she was one of the points that it was through her. She's not interested at all in the healing world and ener- subtle energies. And she had a tendency to roll her eyes as a teenager, but it was through her when she heard about something, she said, Oh mom, this is for you. You have to go. And that really started my, um, energy healing and uh, going deeper into that world, becoming who I am. So yeah, she had an effect on me as well. And now vice versa, the horses, who she's always loved horses, but she didn't have that passion for riding or anything like you did or I did. Um, She just loved them as being beautiful and there. But now she's connected so strongly with them and they've helped heal her in so many beautiful mm-hmm. ways too. So I see it happening all the time. And yes, I'm sure you were, you, there was a reason why you were attracted to horses amongst the many ones and maybe one was to help your mother for sure. Mm-hmm. I believe that. And then another thing you, I think you kind of influenced your mom too was the world of yoga. Yeah. But how, tell me, actually, I don't really know. The, I know the, the story from your mom and she did talk about it here on the first podcast. But let's hear your 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 story about that. My, my side of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I know that she had um, experienced and heard of yoga, you know, before I was born. But um, I got to be the age 14 and one day was chewing gum and developed a click in my jaw. And that click to this day is still with me. Um, so that's a TMJ joint and, uh, it wreaked havoc on my life as an adolescent actually. Um, because, and when the fascia in one part of your body gets adhesed and starts sticking, everybody else is going to come with it. So Mm -hmm. I ended up having quite a bit of pain as a teenager. Um, and my parents, my family didn't have a lot of exposure to alternative healthcare or different types of medicine. Um, so I didn't get a lot of relief for a long time. And then when I was um, in my freshman year of college, I just decided to enroll in a yoga elective. And it was this really cool activity where um, it made me feel so much better. There were days where I didn't want to get out of bed that I I didn't feel, I didn't like everything ached so much. Mm -hmm. And there was this quality, especially as like the way I remember it. I don't have thoughts in remembering it. I just remember like the stillness and the silence and the discipline of the practice. I was someone who did yoga and 
didn't doubt it. I just kept showing up. I, I remember doing it on my patio at home as a freshman in college while everybody else is, I don't know, doing what college kids do. I was doing <laughs> yoga. And um, so I was 18 at that point. Um, and I think, yeah, I came home uh, during a vacation in college and just said to my mom, hey, I think these poses might help with some of the symptoms you experience. And um, she took it and ran. By the end of that year, she <laughs> was doing yoga daily. Um, I think it was like the Bikram sequence. And I mean, you've witnessed it since. And now she has this yoga. She, she's a, I'm not going to say she's the, a different woman than who raised me, but she is such a beautiful evolution of that woman. Your this mother is a force mother. of nature. And like you, you said so well, she takes something and she runs with it. You know, she puts all her, her focus, her energy, her passion into it. It's amazing. I just, I, I'll say sometimes one thing and the next thing I know, like, wow, wow, you did that. That's incredible. <laughs> oh, you, you did it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, she, cool. she just inspires and, and I'm, I love your mother very much, as you know. Yeah. I, I, I sometimes, yeah, to, to know her is to love her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so at this point, um, you know, I did some trainings with her, got my 200 hours and then some taught for a little bit, uh, when I spent a year living in Hawaii on permaculture farms after college, found out that I don't like to be, um, in the spotlight like that as the teacher. Um, but yoga was my gateway drug <laughs> entirely to massage therapy, which was my gateway to acupuncture. Now acupuncture is, it's, it's mostly what informs my life and my worldview, but I also know that as a 30-year-old, more and more things are going to come to my path. And I just know acupuncture is, but acupuncture really is the strong foundation for it. Um, but just, yeah, somatic, anything somatic, I, I have a tendency to gravitate towards. And before you started, because I know um, being an acupuncture, it's been many years you've been studying it. It's quite long and you, you went down many different courses and the schools you went to were very deep and very, let's say, heavy, right? You went a lot, did a lot of studying. And before that, you were kind of traveling a little bit. I remember your mom telling me, oh, she's over there now. Oh, she's in South America now. Oh, she's on a boat. Oh, she's over here. As if you were just sort of sailing around in the air looking for where you needed to go. Tell me a little yeah. bit about, tell us a little bit about your travels. Um, well, I have had the, the good fortune and the privilege um, to be able to follow my heart. Um, that's something that I have so much gratitude uh, to my circumstances and my dad and everyone um, that I haven't had to, I've had, we've all have struggles in our life, right? But struggles didn't keep me from pursuing my passion and my heart and my dreams. And I will never, my gratitude will never run dry for that. But um, yeah, you know what? Some twists and turns after college, um, living in Hawaii for a little bit and just being kind of in a yoga farming permaculture kind of like lens towards life as a 22 year old. Those are formative times for like who you're going to be as an adult. And so that was coloring it. And then um, actually the death of a close friend also really colored um, my approach. You know, when life and death, those concepts make you really think about what it is you're doing here. Um, and uh, yeah, I, 
let's see what what were my travels i i spent some... you were in south america or something for a while well okay so when i was in college i did study abroad in south america and that was a really cool experience chile and argentina um just just so good to be a part of different cultures and see their their natural landscapes and their you know urban landscapes um spent a, a i had a really not a very long trip, like a 10 day trip to um, Chiapas in Mexico with a really close girlfriend. That was really good. I, th- I think maybe the big one though, was knowing that acupuncture school was going to be four years of like busting my, my butt. I, I decided to go to New Zealand for, I think it was four oh, months. Yeah, that's right. You went there. Forget that. Yes. Yeah. And that was, that was the coolest. If I, if I get the opportunity to live in New Zealand again, I'll, I'll feel really blessed. I'll feel really lucky. Um, beautiful place. It's like this developed country that still has the flavor of um, like a non-modern country. Like people will just flip U-turns anywhere on the road or, you know, and <laughs> the they just wild this, west a little bit, a little bit still. Yeah. And it's just beautiful. And, my mom came out for a little bit of that too. So it was fun to share with her. Um, but yeah, I mean, through all, through all the kind of floating around that I did, which you're absolutely right. It was this, what I mean when I say that I'm lucky to have been able to follow my heart, it's that I was just, I was kind of like marinating while the circumstances all got ready for me. It seems like, you know, um, and yeah, I worked on a boat for a little bit in Santa Barbara, which was a really cool experience, learning to sail, getting paid to learn to sail. Um, I just, yeah. And getting to live in Santa Barbara and, and explore Ojai and all that. It was all just very, um, it, so it always put in contact with the elements and the elements are important to me, but yeah. So then what, um, what was the pivot point or what drew you to acupuncture? This is a tough question for me when I'm speaking heart to heart to someone. For other people, I've like learned my little spiel. Oh, like the jaw pain led me to yoga, led me to massage, led me to acupuncture. But in truth, I feel like my entire life I've been arriving at at doubt, like to arriving to Taoism and Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, it just feels like such a calling. It feels like I didn't have a say in the matter. I was talking about this with an acupuncturist friend and. We're both of us being like, we're acupuncturists, like what's that? And reflecting like, no one ever told us to do this in the way that they'll say, oh, maybe you should be a lawyer. Oh, maybe you should be a dentist. No, in not in the worlds in the, you know, that I was raised in, no one's ever saying, hey, you should be an acupuncturist. <laughs> Just not that common. Um, but I guess I received some acupuncture with um, Dr. Ruth in Costa Rica. I have very challenging periods and I still do. Acupuncture has helped me change my relationship to all that pain and discomfort. Still working on actually getting rid of the pain and discomfort. But um, so how, how do you, how do you um, compare, for instance, because you're from your yoga perspective and prana, the life force energy, and of course, chi, which is that too. So in your acupuncture, how does that compare? Because we talk more about the meridians, of course, in acupuncture, whereas in India, it's the nadis. So I'd be interested to see your take on how the difference, if you could explain to us the difference between the meridians, for instance, and the nadis. So for our listeners, uh, maybe explain first what meridians are and then what nadis are so they can understand for those who don't have it. Sure. So the meridians, also known as the channels, um, the Jing Lo, they are energetic pathways um, mapped across the body. 
they are correlated to the organs. Um, however, so they're named after the organs in English. There's 12 primary and then there's eight extraordinary. The naming of them after the organ though is something that kind of like happened in the translation. They're not named after organs in um, Chinese. Oh, I didn't know that, interesting. Yeah, but they do each pass through one organ. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a very important relationship. And mm -hmm. um, to mention the channels, it's important to also recognize the, that the organs, so every part of our body, like in this, I'm not going to say I think in my opinion, I'm just going to speak the way, like this is all, of course, my opinion and what I've learned and what I hold to be true. But consciousness lives in every bit of our body. I don't believe that it lives in our brain or any one place. I think every cell holds some consciousness. Chi mm -hmm. is a very intelligent energy. Um, and that's the thing is to view chi as intelligence. And I also view prana this way. It's, it's mm -hmm. absolutely. It's not just the vehicle for information. It is mm -hmm. the information. Yes. And so that is what's traveling through the channels. You can't necessarily find them in a dissection on a corpse because they're subtle. However, with the osteopathic techniques that I study with acupuncturists, we're seeing that like, oh, the vagus nerve or the mm -hmm. um, vena cava or the aorta, they actually have correlations to um, certain channels. So what I wanted to say, though, is that organs are among the highest consciousness parts of our bodies. So um, each one, like the heart houses the shen, also known as like the, like the spirit, it's the emperor. The liver houses the hun, which is kind of like our time element, while the lungs house the po, which is the corporeal, so the physical element. So when you work with the channels, um, you, you often are working distally or like far away from where like the pain is, or you're working with something that isn't pain. So like I'm getting more and more gravitated towards um, like just helping people um, through difficulties in their life because I, I think that there's something about working with chi in a person's body that can open them up energetically to new options or new perspectives. And that can really help. Um, I don't want to say raise because that implies it's people that, that there is a lower, but really like alter and um, uh, just like, you know, raise alter consciousness and, and mm -hmm. help people navigate their lives with less strife and, you know, more, more altruistically and just collectively better for everybody when everyone's in tune with their heart a little bit more and energy is flowing and there's less stagnation. So that's a huge thing in, in acupuncture with the meridians. Is there stagnation in it? Let's move it. How do you move it? Well, go to four years of school for it. <laughs> and then as far as like nadis and marmas, I'm, I'm no authority on the topic. I, um, studied a little bit of Ayurveda, um, with my 200 hour in Chennai, India. Um, and so what I know is that the nadis are the channels and that the marmas are points on them. And I know that before I ever went to massage school, I was giving um, a boyfriend at the time a head massage and my hands just, I mean, I had no training, no nothing. My hands kept landing on certain places and then come to find out they were all marma points. Uh -huh. Now a huge part of my passion is craniosacral therapy. And so, you know, the sutures along the, the skull bones. And so I don't know which came first, channels or nadis. Either way, I don't care. All I know is that there are many maps to the body. Um, you know, there's the muscles. There's the dermatomes. 
there's um, the anatomy trains, which is the myofascial planes. So there's the channels and there's all the reflexology, whether it's the ear or the palm of the hand. And I just love all of them. I want to know all of them, which is ambitious. Um, but I don't think any of them deny each other. And no, and ma- many of them actually, they connect. You know, if you see throughout the world, throughout time, um, there's a connection between all these different ancient cul- cultures. I have a friend of mine, she's, she's from Mexico, and she's a jiu-jitsu practitioner. And I believe, I think she's an acupuncturist too. I'm not quite sure, can't remember. But she collects everything she finds, these artifacts of, you know, uh, from the local indigenous, um, the Mayans, the Aztecs, whatever she can find, either in photos or in statues or whatever, of where they're holding their hands in different positions. Mm. And it's very interesting because she compares it then to in Jinjitsu or in um, the Marma points as well, where people, so people naturally, I mean, uh, in our blueprint, in our, in our consciousness in our, at a cellular level, we naturally know how to heal ourselves and move that energy. When a child hurts themselves, they put their hands immediately on it, or the mother kisses it and puts her hand it. These are natural movements that we all do. And through time and through disconnection, it has been lost to a degree. There's still the basics, what a mother does or a child does. But throughout time, you can find from the cultures, whether in India, Egypt, um, North America, Mexico, the Mayans, the Aztecs, all these things, there's, 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 uh, there's this very strong common thread of healing. And I find that fascinating to, to make the connection with them too. Absolutely. I think that there's different levels of intelligence and um, we have such an emphasis on the mind in the West that it's, um, it's dulled a lot of the subtler energies that um, not only has it dulled the energies, but our perception to them. And I think a huge part of the work I do and what I like to instill in my patients and my clients is an ability to hear it and, and respond mm-hmm. to it a little bit more. And I think that's exactly also what horses do as a gift for us too. They open that door, that window, even with people completely like who would not even think about believing or going in this direction, all of a sudden just find their, their world's turned upside down through this, this, the horses are sending this information at an energetic vibrational level to open up these doors, these windows for us to see or have a different understanding or be more open to it at least to be able to heal ourselves and eventually also the world maybe. So as you said at the beginning of our podcast, we talked a lot about what's going on in the world today, COVID and um, the global warming and all the different things are going on. And also the big movement of Black Lives Matters, which really um, just took off in the United States, but then also went really worldwide very quickly. Um, And I know that you took a lot of interest in it and started to become very involved in it. what way? What ways are your what you do as an acupuncture? What ways are you trying to help and make a difference for people? And now, in Black Lives Matter, I think we obviously we think of of, of black people, but um, there's a lot of white people that are involved in this too, and um, are affected by it because it hurts them to see this as well. So, but yet they're not. So, how how do you feel coming from your place? as a multicultural background and wanting to make a stand and a point on this to make a better world. It's a lot I said right there, but yeah, yeah. but it's all important. Um, 
Well, first off, to say that I'm really involved, I think would detract from people that are doing much more than me. So it's all relative, right? Um, I do feel um, heavily called to change how I show up in the world, thanks to Black Lives Matter. Um, the, 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 the prejudice um, and just the, the line of separation that we all navigate the world with, it's really important to bring our attention to because it's not doing anyone any favors. These lines of division, um, it, it only sows more division. And I mean, this could go really deeply into conversations about, you know, capitalism on a global scale and the commodification of meaning. Like, there, it, it's so difficult, seemingly, to live a life where, um, with, with more meaning than just consumption. You know, you really have to go to, out of your way and be very intentional to live that life, which I think is interesting. I, mm-hmm. I wish that could be the easier route. But um, yeah, you know, uh, there's a couple topics at play, but like the, um, basically I've committed myself to being coming as educated as I can about racism in the United States and the marginalization of black people. Um, first and foremost, so that I can weed out any racist tendencies in myself. And the truth of the matter is we all have it in ourselves. Um, Mm -hmm. And and racism, to be a racist, it was designed to be an insult. Um, That's from Ibram Kendi in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racism, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Because if it's it's a taboo, then you don't want to talk about it. But the truth is we all have racist tendencies. So I'm I'm trying to navigate the world in a, in a way where I recognize that in myself and then work to rectify it. And so for a long time, I was, or for several months, I was posting on Instagram and trying to be really active here and donate my money there and donate my time here. Um, and then have stepped back a little bit and realized that this is lifelong work of transforming myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it did speak to me though, um, on a personal and professional level, um, I've had the privilege, you know, privilege uh, um, and, and marginalization, it all comes to, yeah, so privilege and the um, varying like categories of being a minority, there's all these intersections. And so I am a woman of color, which makes me a minority, but I also don't have um, like the economic hardship that, um, would compound that minority. Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting though, to navigate, um, being a minority, but also, you know, being privileged, um, in different ways. So things that have come up for me and that I've started educating myself on are the wellness industry and right. Really learning that it is mostly geared towards like, um, white people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned so much about racial disparities in healthcare over the last several months. Um, I volunteer every third Sunday at a BIPOC clinic. So BIPOC is black and indigenous people of color, um, that I on Instagram found a community of people of really impressive people who, um, organize, uh, a group of, of like healers. So we've got 
um, doulas and midwives. We've got massage therapists. We've got chiropractors, acupuncturists, and getting really organized and and um, gathering uh, at Balboa Park and inviting people, um, specifically minorities, um, to come in for free or donation based work and. For me, as someone in the wellness industry, that feels like such a good use of my time um, in addition to or as opposed to, you know, donating money here and sharing that Instagram post there. It's like this is something super tangible that I'm giving my time and my my passion to. And it feels good to give in that way and to be connecting with these communities um, to recognize sometimes that we only operate within one stratus of um culture or society. So to start, you know, forming bonds with people in different socioeconomic um, situations or, or different cultural backgrounds. It's, you know, like you were saying before, recognizing that we all are here for the same thing, right? Love, belonging, safety. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched upon that point, which I think it's very much can be their practice of yoga and the yamas and niyamas can really help us where you touched upon that point that we all have some racism within us, even though we don't realize that we've been brought up a certain way. And even if we've been brought up in a very open way, somehow we've been influenced by something. It can be TV, it can be books, it can be movies, you can be your family, it can be your social network in school or different things. And without knowing it, you can think you're the most non-racist person in the world but something has kind of leaked onto you and you automatically respond in a certain way and people don't realize it. And I, 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 I have seen it myself. I, I, to be, I have to practice honesty. So I, and I've seen it in other people I know that would do anything to help other people of any race whatsoever. But you, we've been, somehow it's ingrained back in our, our, our genetics. I don't know as, as, I really, I don't know what it, because as humans, for where I come and what I feel is I do believe in karma and I also do believe in that we come back and reincarnation. So I could have been this person or that person that from this country or that country in many different ways. So one wonders why it's a stigma that's related to our actual life, not coming from past lives. So that's an interesting thing too. It's something I believe very much in this, in our lives we're living right now. That sounds a bit confusing, but to come back to yoga, yoga can help us by practicing that, that, that satya, truthfulness, really digging deep and finding out, what did I just say there? What did I think? Where did that come from? Why did I act that way? Maybe it's not correct. Or even words we use and say without thought, knowing that words and thoughts have energy and vibrations and influence can hurt other people or can change the, the energy that is around us and affect people. So it's really important to be that, do that introspection, that looking within ourselves. how, or yes, you agree, Black Lives Matter, but how much are you acting upon it? How much are you actually realizing what it means? And me, being, you know, white woman here, <laughs> um, co- as many friends as I have here and living in Costa Rica and the Caribbean, it's still something I can't understand because I'm not. And it breaks my heart to see people suffer like that in ways. Um, but I can't say that I can understand it because I can't, because I'm not. Sure, that. right? There's this right? phrase going around, um, 
I'll never understand. I know I'll never understand, but I'm listening. Yes, that's beautiful. You know, I think that's a huge one right now. And, and so much mm-hmm. of what's happening, I think, is just this like um, diverting of resources, attention being a resource, right? Mm-hmm. Like to Black communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's supporting Black business or um, following more Black people on Instagram, just diversifying your... Absolutely. Feed, diversifying the way you consume things. And I love that you Absolutely. brought the yamas and the niyamas and and yoga into this whole topic because yoga gets down to capital T truth. Right. And, um, I won't say too much about it, but racism, it's a, it's a cultural construct that was designed to oppress people for economic gain. Mm -hmm. And so that is a narrative that has been perpetuated still, you know, it's still being perpetuated and, to be reflective and to be mindful and to use yoga as a tool for accessing something that is a bigger truth than that cultural manipulation. It's, Mm -hmm. it's healing like yoga and cultivating, cultivating compassion. hundred percent. Yeah. Cultivating compassion. Yeah. It it is a very important subject and subject. That's not a correct word. It's a very important thing that's happening in the world today, along with everything else. I see it as a big shift in energies and changing. I don't believe it's going to be anywhere near an overnight or over year fix. It's going to take so much time still, but at least it's in the right direction. We're having reckonings as um, a species in Mm -hmm. more ways than one. Um, You know, I've heard several people say it this way about COVID, for example, that um, we're being sent to our rooms to think about what we've done. That's... (laughs) that was lockdown, you know? And it's like, Mm -hmm. I mean, Gaia, Pachamama, mother nature, she is a force to be reckoned with, you know? And she said, go to your rooms. And we had no choice. Um, And then for that energetic to like, whether it was always going to come in on the same wave as BLM or if it helped the wave of BLM form, there's just all these things where humankind is saying, wait, what have we been doing? What have we been doing? Mm-hmm. Right? We, we're having to reflect and think to ourselves, like, for so many reasons, um, for, for, for loving kindness, for the, uh, to, to perpetuate the very existence of our species, if we have any hopes of survival, for the sake of the other animals that live on this planet, for, for, this, for the sake of the economy, for so many things, it's like, we need some paradigm shifts. And paradigm shifts don't happen overnight. And the really interesting thing, in my opinion, um, is that paradigm shifts won't happen politically or culturally or in a revolution. They're going to happen when consciousness changes. Absolutely. And I think going to our room and thinking about what we've done is, is an opportunity. I think, I think Gaia thought to herself, I, what more can I do? <laughs> yeah, lock them up. <laughs> Time. Lock them up and send them inward. Less yeah. external stimulation, meaning what? Go inward. Yes, Pratyahara and also Swadhyaya, self-study, just to take Mm -hmm. that time to study yourself and your actions and the difference you can make because no matter hard our situations, we can all make a difference. Whether it's just the way we look at people, the way we smile, the way we have a supporting word or thought, even if we have no money, there are many different ways that we can all make a change. And the change begins with ourselves and that practice of self-study which yoga gives us so many tools to understand ourselves better. And then therefore we can understand the world and be better people to help the world and make that change to elevate our consciousness 
for all, for everyone. Yeah, uh, it makes me think of this Dalai Lama quote um, about the power of one. He's like, if you've ever doubted the power of one, um, think about a, like one mosquito in your bedroom all night, mm-hmm. right? That mosquito is going to rock your world all night. <laughs> that sounded weird, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. It's going to... It's true. Sure. <laughs> yeah, things are going to be different. Um, but uh, yeah, it, I think it can be daunting sometimes, uh, the power of one, because we're up against so many forces. And I also... I mean, I live a very spiritual life, and I, I love the language of spirituality. Um, but I'm always... I, I always try to toe the line where I can speak two different languages, one that of spirituality and one where we can speak to people who yes. um, have an aversion to those words. Right. So yeah, absolutely. Those are the people that need the help even more. And yeah, I find right. that very, very important and very interesting is planting these seeds in people's, but you have to learn to speak their language. And I think it was Natalie when we were the other day, I think that was on the, the lectures we were doing with your mom on the 10 wisdom goddesses. Um, she was saying when she was giving classes to her yoga students, you know, a lot of people coming in with a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, whether emotionally and mentally through what's going on, but also physically because, you know, they can't bend, they can't move, it hurts their knees, their joints and everything. But she can't talk to them in a sort of like, she has to learn to, she didn't know how to talk to them in their words to connect with them. And it's something I think it's very important as yogis, as healers, et cetera, to learn to understand that language that they need to, that they can understand and captivate. Because if we speak to us in our spiritual terms or in yoga terms and everything else, either they're going to roll their eyes and walk away or they're going to um, miss the point or be afraid even. When there's, But if you start slowly um, speaking their language with them and helping them understand, look, if you just do this and that and turn your head that way and do that, all of a sudden, the, the vibration within them starts to change without them knowing it. And they're just a bit more open to listen and say, huh, what did you say? What's that about? You know, you can see sometimes the changes. And sometimes it can take a day and sometimes a year or 10 years. They, everyone needs to go on their own path in the end, right? But uh, I think it's important that we open our hearts to find ways to reach out to people who maybe don't even know they need help. I think um, I agree with all that so wholeheartedly. And really it comes down to meeting someone where they're at, mm-hmm. A, and B, always recognizing that everyone's doing their best. I think when you can switch yes. your mindset to that, to realizing this person is doing literally their best, then you have nothing but love and compassion for them. And right, and an, an, and an openness to their their methods, you know, and... So when it comes to yoga and healing and Sanskrit and all these things, it's, you do have to, you can't expect everyone to speak your language. That is another divisive method. You mm-hmm. know, that's just one more division. So seeking, seeking more common ground and, and, you know, and I think also always looking to learn from the person you're with, even if you're in the supposed role of teacher or practitioner or, whatever it is, knowing that that person in equal parts has just as much to teach you. Exactly. So true. Well, with this, Karen, I'd like to, unless you have anything else you'd like to add, I have one last question or actually something I'd like to ask you. Yeah, sure. Um, Let's go for the last question. I've enjoyed this so much. Well, we've been talking, is there anything else you would like to talk about or share with us? Um, uh, nothing that's coming up. No. Okay. If something does just go ahead with it. Um, 
I think it's something very interesting because we touched a point about people um, right now, especially in this world, and a lot of people thinking, well, I would like to help, but I have no idea how to help. I'm not a yogi. I'm not a healer. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a firefighter. I'm not this. I'm not that. And it can seem so overwhelming. And then they start feeling guilty and bad in creating that negative energy within them. And there's just no point in that. Is, is, is there something that you would like to advise people um, that could make them feel better about themselves in the, and come to terms with ways they could help? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, it's a really great question. Um, and something great to explore. Uh, it makes me think of something that I, in my personal lexicon have coined, um, presence practices. And I think that, um, so one of my teachers in acupuncture school kind of taught me of this concept. There's the lumpers and then there's like the purists. And so the purists, they choose one school and they, they go deep into that one and that's their everything and it's beautiful and it works for them. But then there's the lumpers and they have a very eclectic approach. They take something from that school of thought, something from that philosophy. So I'm a lumper. I'm a lumper too. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the eclectic approach because yeah, there's so like... much from different traditions. Yeah. Um, but so I'm not going to say to anyone, um, you need to meditate, you need to eat a raw diet, and you need to read the sutras every night or whatever it is, you know, yeah, because yeah. that's every, we're such beautifully unique individuals. Um, but what I advise, for example, the people that I work with or the advice that I give to my friends and what I tell myself is to, to find what brings you to the present moment, whatever it is. As a child, it was horseback riding for me. Now it's yoga or climbing or surfing or my work, acupuncture and craniosacral, or even just chatting with a friend. Find your presence practice mm -hmm. and cultivate it. Do more of it. And then find the people that are doing it and collaborate with them and form community with them. And then together, when you're operating from a place of presence and you're doing that in community, I, be I believe that your heart will be in the right place because you're in the present moment. And then from there, mobilize, you know, find a cause and work towards it. It's, it's not super hard to get behind a cause. What can be hard though is the, the bravery to keep at it every day or, or finding the company, the companionship to keep going at it every day. Um, but just identify your presence tool, identify your cause, and identify your communities, and then mm -hmm. collaborate. And also know that you, you don't have to figure out every aspect of the plan. You might be the person who brings the chips and salsa every time. And thank God, because that fuels that other idea person's brain. And yeah. then they state idea and then you have an idea about that. So I'm all about collaboration. Yes. Uh, thank you. That was really what um, I thought very interesting and very good advice. And that people should know not everyone is the, the people that have the creative ideas they don't have the energy to manifest and make it happen. You need that engine, the people that create the engine. It's okay. They get the idea. Now I run with it. I'm going to make it happen. We're going to, I'm the organizer. Then you've got the other one that needs to feed them or bring the food or bring the coffee or bring the water. Um, the other one that goes to the errands. There's always so many different ways. And no, not one is a lesser position. All is needed because it makes the, 
the all come together, the union of it all. All the spikes of the wheels are needed, otherwise the wheel's not gonna turn. So whatever way people can help in in their communities or even in their family units, it doesn't have to be. I think any whatever small thing it is, it's still important. It's always important. Absolutely. And I mean, if I can just, you know, I am always struggling between like plugging my work, plugging what it is I do versus knowing that like it's for the collective. It's an offering. I'm here of service. So I think I would just like to mention that, you know, regardless of where you are in the world, we, we live in a very Zoom oriented world now anyway. Um, and I, I have... Um, I've realized that I am someone who like loves to make things happen. And so towards that end, I've taken the things that I'm passionate about and I've developed a couple workshops. And so you took the, the five element one yep. where we use the five elements of Taoism. So fire, earth, metal, water, wood, um, to get in closer touch with ourselves. Um, you can use these archetypal tools to discover more about yourself and then ha- knowing that much about yourself, apply it towards a goal. So that's one workshop. And then, you know, as I mentioned, this tantric 10 goddesses of wisdom workshop that I'm developing where, where you can channel and harness those, um, that those qualities of nature that the goddesses represent towards making things happen or shifting things. And so if anyone's ever struggling to find exactly what their presence tool is or how they can collaborate or who their people are, like these are tools that are, that have been passed down through the generations that we can cultivate, that we can Mm -hmm. get to know ourselves better with. So those are, those are some offerings I have that I wanted to mention. Absolutely. And for our listeners at the end of the podcast, we'll have Kieran's links. So if you're interested in joining her workshops, workshops and, and finding extra tools that you can use in your life for yourself or for others, I, I definitely recommend um, checking up on her and we'll put her Instagram as well. So you can follow if you're interested in what Kieran's doing. She's in San Diego. And if you're in that area, you can always connect with her as well. So thank you so much, Kieran, for being with us today. It was a very interesting conversation. And I wish our listeners a beautiful ending of today. And um, my little word of wisdom, let's say, what would I have for today is trust yourself. I think the most important, whatever your belief system is, um, whatever it is, what's important for you that is important. So if that's giving you um, joy and a sense of presence and a value in your life, um, and that's your way to do it, trust in that. If long as it's not harmful to you or to anyone else, that will be your path and that's your light to guide you, whatever it is. And it might be from going to church or having your yoga practice or belonging to a dance group or a choir group or a singing group or, you know, dancing on the streets, all different things are all out there. So trust what brings you that light and that joy. And that will guide you. That will give you the the codes of how to live as well, because it's all, it's community. Staying on your own has its qualities. And you can find that sense of self-direction, but also be involved. We're humans, so we're not meant to be alone. We're sort of, you know, there's animals that are solitary animals, pack animals, herd animals, and we are animals that live in groups. 
So it's important to connect with your peers, with others out there. So find a spot that resonates with you and try it. If it doesn't work, try something else. Mm. But stay activated. <laughs> stay activated. Oh, Terry, it's been such a pleasure. I, I really love connecting with you. Oh, garbage truck. <laughs> Um, and it's, I'm very inspired by you. I, you're, you're a heart driven woman and, um, it's really, it's really lovely to witness and I'm really glad to be connected with you so closely. So thank you so much for having me. And thank you for being here. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. Namaskar.